I got really pumped with the idea of having an episode made up of live footage. I got so excited that I asked Becca, our associate producer, to indulge me by watching a bunch of old concert clips. That is one of the shinier shirts I've seen. I feel like the moon would almost have to cover its eyes based on how much glare is coming (laughs) off that shirt. Specifically, clips of aging male crooners. Masculine vocalists like Tom Jones, Elvis Presley, Julio Iglesias, who was one of my favorites. We were trying to break down the trademarks that make classic concert albums and footage so cheesy and memorable. Um, He's kind of swaying, moving slowly across the stage. I think one thing is they're always looking somewhere in the middle distance. There's more buttons not buttoned on his shirt than buttoned for sure. There's gold jewelry, male cleavage, but there is one consistent identifier. The pointing. Why is he doing that? All this gesticulating, like these overemphasized moves. It's the snapping, it's the pointing. (laughs) I feel specifically called out. At home, my parents had a collection of vinyl concert albums. Between that and TV footage of sweaty men and blousey concert wear, the women in my family kind of had the same reaction as Becca. It was a blast to make fun of because it was such a blind spot to the aging vanity and ego of these singers. As I got older, I noticed these same gestures I mocked weren't limited to the stage. In fact, I started seeing more examples of how other men take up physical space as if they were on a stage. I've seen men at parades point to police and say, you'd be safe out there. Guys overtly rapping along to Craig Mack on the bus with their hands waving and eyes closed. And the dreaded fingers-to-eyes gesture. That's two fingers pointing to eyes and then back to a person accompanied by keep an eye out. I might have done this one a few times in the past. What's the most ridiculous thing somebody could do, man or woman, you think, that along the lines of, like, keep an eye on this? <laughs> I think, like, unnecessary pacing, like in a meeting or in a, you know, a conversation. I'm just going to look like I'm thinking really hard. Or just, like, I'm going to, you know, bang my fist on the table. Or something where it's just like, yes, I am in charge here. <laughs> I've seen that a lot. And it's usually men. <laughs> I am... Um... Guilty of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> this is Mark Pagan, and you're listening to Other Men Need to Keep Their Eyes on You. That's the name of the show sometimes when we sing in a karaoke tune. If this is your first time with us, welcome. We're in the midst of getting our second season ready. So go back, listen to the first season where we explore the emblems and the habits and the struts and the male performance. For the next few months while we're in production, we got something special and different for you, starting with today's bonus episode. We have three stories from our live shows from some of our favorite women in radio. This wasn't intentional, but these stories are all reacting to some tragic, uncomfortable, and misguided male 
moves. Our first story comes from Mitra Cavoli. Mitra is an award-winning audio producer, editor, and sound designer. And I got to know her work through the heart. I also find her to be a delightful storyteller. Here she is at our live show at the Crane Theater in November of 2017. Hi. So I'm a competitive person and like that doesn't mean that like I ever win anything or I'm even particularly good at anything but I just like I have this kind of undeniable drive and the thing that I am most competitive about is a breakup um I'm really 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 not above it um So a few years ago, I was going through a breakup, and it was kind of a slow burn. You know, right afterwards, I was like, yes, maybe I can find someone who knows how to turn on my stove and can make me coffee. Really simple wants I have. So I download the apps, and I start Tindering, and honestly, I love online dating. I think it's so fun. And like... I think I'm really good at it. I've really nailed kind of the algorithms. Like over here you have everyone who is um, not a white person and over here everyone who's like not a cis man and if you just like kind of do, like there's this like sweet spot right in the middle that's like pretty good. And every, you know, it's, it's fine. So I'd gone on a few dates and it was fine, you know, just a way for me to take up some, some of the time in my evenings that I now had. And um, one day, I'm out to dinner with a friend, and she's like, girl, I hate to tell you this, but uh, your ex, is he's dating somebody. And I was like, oh, oh my god, I'm losing, okay. <laughs> so I double down. And then I see Wilson's profile, um, and... <laughs> Like, he had all these, like, really perfectly angled mirror selfies. Like, he just, like, really knew where to, like, hold the phone in relation to his body in the mirror. And I could tell that he didn't live with his mom, so things were looking very, very good for me. We had some banter back and forth and decided to set a date. We decided to meet at a bar in Manhattan on a Saturday night. Saturday. It's real real estate. Manhattan, we don't even, neither of us live in Manhattan. Like, why would we even do that? Um, so we meet at this bar in the East Village, and Wilson is cute, okay? <laughs> like, he's very, very cute. He had these really well-tailored clothes that, like, fit him perfectly. Like, you know they're expensive, but, like, still casual. And uh, he had this design job that I didn't really understand, but I thought was very, very cool. Uh, he was short. I like that. Th- that's a whole other Venn diagram of like cool dudes who are like also like competent and like have their shit together. Like that. That's something else. But like, so we're having a great time. Like he's funny. He's smart. Things are going well. We migrate to another table kind of in the back, like this little circle table with this lamp on it. And it's dark. It's a little private. And, you know, I'm just, like, staring at him, like, Wilson. (laughs) And all of a sudden, he reaches his hand out. He puts his thumb on my chin, kind of like this, like this, and, uh, like, cocks his head to the side and goes, like, (laughs) and then, like, 
brings my face into his to, to kiss. Cool, like, I, I don't know what that is, like, I, <laughs> I don't know, like, maybe you saw that on, like, a walk to remember, I've never seen the movie, but, like, thought he'd, like, try it out, like, that's how you want to make your first, like, intimate impression with somebody, I don't know. I've had some few drinks, I don't give a shit, like, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> um, we keep talking, we're having a good time, and then, you know, like I said, the drinks are flowing through me, and I'm just, like, really feeling free with my body. And so I like lean in to kiss him and he stops me. <laughs> Puts his thumb on my chin. <clears throat> and then we kiss. <laughs> this is when like I'm, I start doing like some, some math for the date. It's like over here we have this like beautiful short man with like all the things on page, you know, like cool job, cool life, funny, smart, intelligent. Like over here we have like. <laughs> but at that point, like when you're like, there's just something about being on a date where you're like, I'm on this ride for the rest of my life. There's no stopping this train. And so I, I'm like, listen, Wilson, I'm having a great time. Why don't we go back to my house? No sex, like platonic. That's what I said. I said, it's not a sex date. Why don't we come back to my house? We can like cuddle and hang out and like go to sleep. It'll be cool. He says, yes. We get in a cab. This shit happens to me like <laughs> seven more times. Um, <laughs> we get to my house. We hang out in my bed for a little bit, pants off, and then we fall asleep. In the morning, the sun is like streaming in. It's like warming my face. And I'm like hearing these birds chirping. And I kind of get up, and I realize that I am incredibly rested. And that's when I realize that something truly, truly remarkable has happened. Last night, I shared bed with this man that I met on Tinder, who I invited over to my house from like a date, the first time we met. And he did not one time try and have sex with me. Not a single time. He did not like put his boner in my back all night or like stroke my side while I'm like clutching a duvet like rigid, like please not, I just wanna go to bed. Like no nothing. And you know, I am just like, I'm overcome with emotion. <laughs> Wilson, my God. <laughs> you know, like why don't, we, why don't we get coffees and bagels and go to the park today and just, just spend the day together, you know? Like, and then maybe, maybe we can like go some, anywhere, like romance, like this is amazing, this is love. This is literally how low the bar is, actually. <laughs> Wilson starts stir stirring in the bed. He's like, oh, hey babe, how'd you sleep? I was like, oh, so good, Wilson, how are you? He's like, oh. <laughs> and he like gets up and he's like stretches. And then he looks at me, and he reaches his hand out, and he puts his thumb on my chin, and kind of like pulls my face towards his, and I'm like, Wilson, get the fuck out of my house right now.
You can find more about Mitra on Twitter at Mitrasaurus, and her work is on her website, MitraCaboli.com. Our next story comes from Jalinta Greenberg. Jalinta is a comedian. She's a storyteller. She's a Moth Story Slam winner. Currently, she's a co-host of the Panoply podcast by the book, which is kind of a reality show meets a book club, and I highly recommend listening. Here's Jolenta at our live show in November 2017. Uh, I'm here to talk about election night. You guys remember election night? It's about a year ago. It was the worst. It was the worst. Um, and I'm, I don't want to brag, but uh, I'm pretty sure my election night was worse than yours. Uh, it started strong. It started strong. I, I was super proud of my husband. He's a journalist, and he was at the Javits Center covering the Hillary party all night long. And I was in Brooklyn with a group of friends uh, that I used to work with, all from public radio. So it was like a very safe place to be watching an election when you think the first woman is going to become president. Like, it's a good, it's a good vibe. And we, we were crushing it, you guys. Uh, this is a news story, so I may need to consult my notes. Um, you know, we had, we had, like, the good vibe. We had an ice cream cake that said Hillary on it with three exclamation points. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was awesome, but like you know how the story goes. The night rolls on, the Hillary cake starts to melt, <laughs> Michigan numbers start coming in, and like shit begins to crumble. Slowly, each person at the party starts to fall apart. First, one of my friends just starts saying over and over again, I gotta call my mom. I gotta call my mom. I gotta call my mom. Uh, our hostess just goes into her bedroom and isn't seen for the rest of the night. Yeah, yeah, shit got dark. Like, the funny guy was trying to make jokes to make us feel better, being like, like, ladies, get your IUDs now. Like, it was, they weren't landing. <laughs> you know? Um, and I opted for the just get super drunk get super high and like weep silently on the couch coping mechanism. And it was going great for me. And I was lucky because my old boss was in town and he had stopped by this party as well. And when we worked together, like we were the office mom and dad. We were like the cutest odd couple ever. Like I was the young fuck up comedian who like did office work to make money. He was, you know, the uptight family man and executive who was my dad's age. And, like, somehow we got along and had, like, inside jokes and were, like, just the cutest. So he's there, uh, old boss. That's what we're calling him throughout this whole story. Uh, and he's just great, you know. He's getting me tissues. He's refilling my rosé. Like, when the bong comes my way, he, like, helps me, like, get a handle on it. Like just really looking out for me while I just voluntarily destroy myself. Uh, around 2 a.m., I decide, like, I can't take it anymore. It's time to go home. So he walks me out, 
and uh, we are waiting for our respective cars to come. And he, he, his, uh, his car pulls up, and he gives me a hug. Um, but it's not the normal, like, pat on the back, like, see you later, bud, hug. Um, this time his hands are on my waist, but, you know, like, Trump just won, like, shit's crazy, like, fine. His hands are on my waist. And uh, while we stand there, his hands start, like, migrating. One's like up, the, going up the back. One's going like down towards my ass. Remember, I am married. He is married. I am noticing this, but before I, uh, I can start to say anything, he just starts like whispering sweet nothings in my ear. Reminder, I am so drunk and so high and so crying still on a sidewalk now, not even on a couch, like where it's cozy. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, he starts telling me he's, he's had feelings for me for a long time. And, uh, you know, to put it politely, he offers to uh, console me that night with his penis. Uh, my heart just sort of drops. And I want to yell, like, seriously, dude? You too? Like, come on. But instead, I just go, I don't think that's a good idea. And I, like, run to my car, which is now pulled up. And we go our separate ways. Uh, and I'm sitting in the car, and I kind of can't help but laugh. Because, like, what, what did he think was going to happen? I was going to be standing there outside crying and, like, so inebriated and be like, you know what? Yes. Yes. What I need right now, after watching my hopes and dreams for this nation get crushed is to, like, just go get fucked by another shitty old white guy. <laughs> yes. Awesome idea. And, like, you know, we'll get back to his hotel room, and I'll be like, I have an idea. Let's get crazy. Let's use my tears as lube. <laughs> and, like, when you go down on me, I want you to turn on MB MSNBC so I can keep watching the whole country turn red over your head between my legs. And when we're done, let's just use my Yas Hillary shirt as a jizz rag. So I won't be able to look at it anymore after tonight anyway. Like, is that what he thought I was going to say? I don't know. I don't know. We'll never know. Uh, the next and last time I saw old boss was uh, when I was in D.C. for the Women's March. Uh, I saw him directly after the march, and I shit you not, he just immediately tried to kiss me. <laughs> yeah, so I asked him, I said, like, what is your deal? Why can't you get your shit together, dude? And his only answer was just, I'm a man. <laughs> Thank you! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> You can find Jolenta on Twitter at Jolenta G and listen to her podcast by the book. Our final story comes from Joanna Solitaroff. Joanna's a podcast producer and performer. Her work has appeared on Why Why. The Longest Shortest Time, Unfictional, 
She's appeared on The Moth, Two Truths and a Lie, Camp Sunshine, and she's super funny. We're really excited to have her. Here she is at our live event at Le Poisson Rouge in September 2017. Oh my gosh, so excited to be here. You know, Mark asked me if I had any stories about toxic masculinity and the cup runneth over. So uh, I got to say, this is a total non sequitur, but I just feel compelled to share this before I dive into it, which is that I do, I tend to run, men have a tendency to say things that are not appropriate to me in inappropriate settings. And um, over the summer, I got sinus surgery doing great and but you know obviously you're very nervous when you go into the OR and so I was just trying to be like a folksy midwestern girl and like lighten the mood of a terrifying situation and I walked in the OR and I was like wow this is just like the TV shows like big and intimidating and all the equipment is there and the anesthesiologist goes yeah but with a lot less sex And then he put me to sleep, so, uh, (laughs) I'm doing great. Uh, So that's just a non sequitur, but I have to say the the place where I seem to encounter inappropriate males more than any other is definitely the MTA of New York City. The first instance that comes to mind, it was like right before, it was like new to New York, fresh from Minneapolis. This is when I was starting to get my New York swagger because I stood up for myself for the first time. And uh, this guy had thrown a piece of trash in the trash can and he missed and he hit me with a piece of garbage. (laughs) And I said, he picked it up and put it in the garbage and I go, you just hit me with your trash. And he goes, I missed. And I go, you just hit me with your trash. And he says, I missed. And then I said, you just hit me with your trash. And then he's like, oh, sorry. And then just sort of like backed away. Or there was the time that, um, there was a time that I was riding a train. I missed my stop. I went all the way to Queens Plaza. And I noticed that when I had gotten on the train around Rockefeller Center, I was like, wow, it's the middle of January, and this guy's wearing really, really short shorts. And I didn't think of anything of it, and I sat down, and then, you know, the train's going, and by the time we get to Queens, the conductor, I hear their voice booming through the car, and they go, we need police attention to car 4238. And I was like, that's weird. That's never happened before. And then I, like, look, and I see, I'm like, I'm on car 4238. And then we stop at Queens Plaza, and the man stands up, and it turns out he's completely naked from the waist down. (laughs) And uh, he just, like, nonchalantly put on his jeans and, like, waltzed off the train, and nobody had any idea that he had just been riding the train. And also, I kept trying to catch people's eyes on the train to be like, is anyone else seeing this? And I looked, literally, there was 30 people on the train, and no one looked at me, and finally, I found like the other person who's like this high schooler who also saw it and was looking around for other people to meet eyes with and we were like, oh my God. Um, (laughs) But like the most sort of shocking display of like inappropriate behavior, toxic masculinity was about two years ago, sitting on the train, got a seat on the L train, 
killing it. <laughs> you know, thinking over my day. And this guy walks on the train, totally normal looking guy. And like, you know how you can sometimes like feel someone's energy before you actually see them? Like, I could feel he was uncomfortable. I could feel he was out of place. Like, that's what brought my attention to him. And he's like real like fidgety and itching around and it's a pretty full train. And then he sort of turns towards me and I realize he has a giant swastika tattoo as well as like a, the Iron Cross, which is like a symbol of the KKK. <laughs> and I was like, wow. To, to walk around in a short sleeve shirt in New York City on like a train car, like it's so diverse. Like that train had like, was representative of so many different kinds of people and walks of life. And he's just standing there and I don't think anybody else noticed. And like, you know, maybe, Maybe if it were now, I would have gotten up and moved. Like, maybe I would have like felt like it was best for me to leave and avoid a dangerous situation. This was, you know, this was two years ago. This was before Charlottesville. This was before Portland. I was like, but there, I just felt like compelled to sort of stay there. And I, in my mind, you know, I've been doing social justice work for a long time, and I'm like, do I say something to this person? Do I try to engage in a conversation? Is this like? a teaching moment and like just trying to like think it all over and as a Jewish woman like I had just never I'd never seen anything like that just like in my face a huge swastika tattoo and I'm just thinking this over like what do I do should I say something should I say something like staring at him and then I just sort of started trying to like channel energy towards him like I hope you learn better I hope someone teaches you a lesson like I hope, I hope you like figure this shit out because it is really fucked up. And as I'm like thinking this over and kind of like looking at him and then I'm like trying to like, I start giving him this stink eye involuntarily and then I realize I should like back off of it. So I'm like squinting my eyes and then trying to open them and look normal and then like squinting them again. And then he, but he's like just sort of like pacing around and he sees that there's like, you know the, the bars that you hold onto on the subway, he starts doing pull-ups on the bars to show everyone how masculine and vigorous he is. And so he's like doing his pull-ups. And then when he finished his pull-ups, he's like pacing around again. And, and then that's when I noticed his feet. And uh, I don't know if he like didn't get the memo on appropriate hate group footwear, but he was wearing socks with flip-flops. <laughs> and I just like couldn't put it all together. Like I was like, who is this person? What's going on? And then, as I'm trying to figure that out, he reaches into his pocket and he takes out a kind bar, which, <laughs> like, you won't do artificial flavors, but you'll do hate, like. Okay, and so the so he like eats his he eats his kind bar and is kind of like looking around the train. Also, he's young. He's like he's probably like 24, or 25. And then like his kind bar wrapper accidentally sort of like drops onto the floor. And then he looks around the train to make sure people are looking at him. And then he sort of like makes a show of picking up his wrapper and putting it back into his pocket. Like I'm a Nazi, but I'm not a litter bug. Okay, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And I kept thinking like, you know, I was just trying, I was like, I hope, like, 
I want something to happen. You know, so often people like, you don't, you don't get any sort of like closure on a situation or like you see somebody be horrible and then they just to go, they get to like go and be horrible forever. And so I kept being like, I wish like, I wish there was some sense of sort of like justice or vindication in this moment. And I keep thinking about that. And then all of a sudden, I like look down and just as I look down, I see the tongue of his sandal break <laughs> and like flip up. There is nothing more gratifying than watching a neo-Nazi try to shove the thong of their broken flip-flop back into a dress sock. And he couldn't fix it. And I got to watch this guy for at least 15 minutes struggle with a broken flip-flop and he wasn't able to fix it. So then he literally had to limp off the train and I was like, who's superior now? <laughs> Thank you. You can find Joanna on Twitter at Joanna. That's Joanna with three N's. This week's episode and live events were produced by Mark Pagan, Ben Goldberg, Tanvir Mansour, and Rebecca Seidel. With editing by Becca and me. Special thanks to Mitra, Jolenta, Joanna, Horse Trade, Crane Theater, Le Poisson Rouge, and Robin Gelfenbein. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play. And the biggest help we could get right now is if you pause and rate and review the show. If you want to take the extra step and talk about it with a friend or on social media, I will do a Tom Jones jig for you. Sign up for our newsletter at othermenneedhelp.com and you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We will have another bonus episode for you in a month. Until next time, adios, ciao, ciao. Bye to everybody down there listening to me. We are out. I'm dropping the mic. Good night.